Arts program, which I will put into the show notes here. I, I'm seeing more and more of pay with Amazon and, and things. Quicksilver! Quicksilver! <laughs> <It's Quicksilver. laughs> Woo! I found it! And you blurted it out just like I that. I told you I would. Didn't lie. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 86 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello, hello, hello. And of course we have Jaime Lopez on the line from Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And down in sunny California, we have Mark Rubin. Hello. So there you go. There you go. Oh, and by the way, if people are following along on Twitter, and I'm sure some of you are, Greg posted a shirt, his picture of his sweat. He was wearing his Facebook hoodie on his first day at work this week. So That was awesome. Congrats, Greg. Hope it's working out. <laughs> I hope yeah. he got put in charge of the, um, in charge, yeah, for sure, of the, the team that's building those servers, because I want to hear all about that. Yeah, well, that's it's not, we won't know about that until yeah. six weeks He's an iOS now. developers. Yeah, yeah, that's, not yeah that's true. Yeah. They're going to be like, uh, you know, we need you to build this new piece of spyware to go inside of yeah. the Facebook app and come up with a way of always staying operating in the background, Greg. That's mm. what we need you to do. Mm-hmm. Get on that. Mm-hmm. And what, chew up all your battery time? Is that what you're worried about? I'm not worried about that. No? Because I don't use Facebook. Oh, listen, just a bit of follow-up here on, 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 <laughs> okay. on battery time. Um, I, I haven't said this yet, but the, the iPad Pro 12.9-inch... Is that what it is? Yeah, it totally is. It's it, it's the worst iPad I've had for battery life ever. You mean it uses power faster than it's, any other it's iPad? It's sitting there on the couch using power right now, and I haven't turned it on yet today. And I, I guarantee dare you, it. I guarantee you, the next time I go on to it, it'll be... I'm sure there's background, you know, Facebook checking and stuff like that going you on. You got Facebook on that thing? Of course I do. You got to get rid of it. You know, that's <laughs> step one. Well, you can go and look at battery usage, right? And see what your biggest... That's event. true. That's true. But, but but I have to say, like, you normally... Tim, put the microphone down and go find out. <laughs> Inquiring minds. Oh, you, want, you want real-time follow-up? Damn right I real-time want real-time follow-up. follow-up. <laughs> okay, here, I'm pulling it out of the bag. Good. Pull it out of the bag. While he's doing that, I will point out that uh, whatever Mr. Heo is working on, um, he hasn't had his uh, finalized team yet, right? So my understanding of Facebook's process is you go through like a six-week boot yeah, camp. exactly. You're yeah. working on like the, here's how we do things at Facebook. And yep. then at the end, or somewhere towards the end of that, you pick your team and you join your team. Yeah. You great. pick your team. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it's I, semi-mutual. Like, I think if they really don't like you for whatever reason, they, they probably wouldn't take you on or they didn't have space. But I think it's pretty unlikely to be that case. Well, I think if, Facebook teams are happy to have people, you know, good, smart people come and join. Wow. So it's so peculiar. And think about this. Facebook is, quote, always hiring, unquote. But they don't have particular job uh, vacancies that they're filling. They just need bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So much so that they don't have a particular job in mind when they put you through the hiring process and then actually go ahead and hire you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is, well, is Go- that- Google's the same way. Yeah. How weird is that? Apple's not like that. Apple's not like that. That's true. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I've never quite uh, understood. Well, I sort of get why they do it that way. But, well, let's put it this way. They're not, they're not giving out any data over whether it works or not. But, uh, but it does seem to, ch- to have been changing over the past um, months or years or whatever at least at, at google from what i hear you mean so changing maybe it doesn't so work so well oh so, so that they actually can hire to they they now apparently can hire two specific positions oh, really? whereas okay. that was never allowed before yeah hmm. 
Okay. Um, do you do you have some real time feedback for us, Tim? Oh yeah. You know what? It's funny because I just charged it up uh, yesterday morning before I yeah. went to work, and it's got no battery usage at all. So I don't know. You mean it's got no battery? Well, yeah. That's what I don't understand. It's it actually says when I go to to the battery um, pane in yeah. settings, there yeah. it says usage fifteen minutes, standby six hours, twelve minutes. No apps are being reported here. Is that where it normally puts the? Yes. Uh, there's a battery usage table. And it yeah. shows every, or, or like the top 20 apps or something like that. Yeah, yeah. With a percentage for each. Yeah, well, probably since... For the 24 been... hours or seven days. Yeah, it has nothing here. Very disappointing. Bad, hope, not, not good feedback. Let me check my phone. It's very disappointing, Tim. Yes, because I have seen that on my phone, which is now in night mode, or what do you call that, night shift mode, or... Yeah. It's all yellow and stuff. You're going to have to report back. Find out what your offender is, and then give it the boot. Yeah. Well, maybe I, I, that's what Greg's working on, like allowing it to be all stealthy and taking all your personal data, but without sucking the battery dry. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg is contributing to the world. I'd be happy if Greg uses his uh, skills at running, running unit tests to make sure that the bugs in the SDK go away. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. But that's just me. <laughs> There's a lot of good work that could be done at Facebook. And I guess the, the draw is that the fact that you could be influencing, you know, the experiences of millions and millions and millions, a billion people, right? <laughs> All told on the service, but, you know, how many on iOS specifically? Hundreds of millions, probably. Mm-hmm. However, many people have iPhones. It's crazy. Think of the, uh, the impact that he can have. Yeah, I mean, just think about it. So when they do their A-B testing type stuff, right, where they push out some sort of feature and then see what it does out in the wild, let's say they do it at 1% of their billion. Yeah. If my math is correct, is that 10 million people? It, it's kind yeah. of rare to say, like, hey, I pushed out something. If it's good, if it's not, either way, it touched 10 million people today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. even if it was the craziest thing, you, you have a, a complete chartreuse screen is your feature test. Let's see what happens when, <laughs> when we do this. You touched 10 million people today. I mean, that's mm. a massive scale. And, you know, it's super impressive to, to be able to have that sort of opportunity, I think, for people. Yeah, too bad Xcode yeah. can't handle their scale. I can't leave it alone. <laughs> All right. What do they write in? Well, well they react native. Okay, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. The, the line Xcode can't handle our scale came out sometime, like around the time that React came out, I guess. Um, and, you know, whoever was presenting it uh, used that. I can't remember if it was for React or for something else, but, oh. you know. Um, I don't know what they use, to be honest with you. Like, maybe it's all like TextMate. <laughs> I have no idea. VI. VI, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my uh, one of my coworkers at Disney is is huge on on VI. Yeah. Um, he gave me a little demo this week, which was amazing. Like I, I never really understood what made VI so powerful, but with all the key bindings and the ways that you can uh, move around and manipulate text uh, to you know do basically whatever you want uh, without your hands leaving the keyboard it was very impressive. Mm. Um, makes me want to actually uh, you know spend a little more time and figure out exactly how it works. You guys ever use VI? Mark? Come on, Mark. Oh, sure, of course. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. It's, it, you I dropped it. it well, like, so. And I still use it. Well, you know, I used to use it regularly back in the old days. You know, I'm talking 20 years ago. Uh, but now I just use it for very small things. I mean, if I'm on the command line and I need to edit something, yeah, sure, sure. then I'll use it for that. Sure. Right. That's actually faster than going out to a text editor or something like that. Yeah, that's right. true. That's true. Yeah, you've always got to have, you know, some text editor on the command line. But uh, right. 
you know, my, my friend on this team is, uh, he uses Mac Vim and, um, and also has the key bindings for Xcode. Hmm. So uh, he's, a, he's fully on board. Does it do auto completion? I'm not sure. I would imagine it does. Like, you yeah. know, it just uses the uh, source kit service, right? So, yeah. Um, but it's just the key binding so that he can use all the uh, slash commands and, you know, appends and yanks and you name it. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun to watch. Cool. Uh, yeah, get MacVim in, sh- in the show notes. Yeah, I actually uh, go even even further back and still use Ed as my editor. No, you don't. Oh, man. I do. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Why not Nano? And I mean, like, if you want just like a... If I if I want if I want to see what I'm doing, I use PP Edit. If I don't, if I'm just going to go in and edit a few lines and things, yeah, like that's I'll what use, I mean. I use Ed one line at a time. Awesome. Okay, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> I don't know. And you still have your punch code reader for doing all yeah, that? Right. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I actually don't. No. no, I have my yeah. No, I'm more of a Bix tool kind of guy. More of a vacuum tube kind of no, guy. Bix tool, B-I-X. Sorry, I thought you said vacuum tube. No. Vacuum tubes. Mm-mm. Yeah, and punch cards. Oh, I see vacuum tube. See, yeah. that was me making fun of you. Actually. Yeah, where we actually have moths that are bugs, right? My um, earlier idea from a few weeks ago, ask MTJC. Yeah, yeah. I've got all kinds of feedback here that I want to bring into the show. Cool. Here it is. Ready? Wait. There it is. That's like awesome. It? Did you like that? Yeah, but the problem is if people are listening to Overcast, they really won't be able to enjoy that as well. No, that's too bad. Wait. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what, Mark? You missed it? You Do I have to repeat it? this? <laughs> it goes like this, Mark. You listening? Here it is. I'm listening. I see. So you're doing your uh, flash running around the world imitation. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Uh, went over like a lead balloon, my oh, friends. Well, yeah. Nothing. People Zero. Do. Zilch. Nada. Zbupkis. Nobody wants to ask MTJC anything. Well, no, we get we get feedback on Twitter and stuff. Don't you get feedback on Twitter about the show? No, not really. Well, you know, it's it's happened from time to time, but it seems to have really tapered off. Nobody likes to talk to me. Well, if you want to do I some, very curmudgeonly, it's true. If, if you really want to do some some Twitter fe- or feedback on the show, I can tell you that. Let me find the guy here. Nolan O'Brien basically reached out to me because I said that TLS... Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Nolan O'Brien, thank you for having me there, said that uh, he was a little confused by my saying that TLS was at 2.0 because, as he says, it's currently at 1.2 and 1.3 is in draft mode or whatever that means. I guess it's sort of in discussions or whatever, testing and things. So, correction to that and posted a correction in the show notes. But thanks to Nolan O'Brien for sending in that awesome feedback. We That's love F-U. feedback, man. That is fu. Fu and Classic feedback. F-U. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. So thanks for the fu. No. I wish um, I wish I had some fu, but I, I have no fu. Yeah. For you. So we'll just have to talk about new things this week. Okay. Uh, I got a lunch, a bunch of links in this uh, document here, so you know, yeah. I'm ready to lay it down. Did lay down just, like the they black rock and beats. No, man, I've been doing it all week. Okay, so I see a few. Yeah. Check me out. Let's talk about Instaparser. Instaparser, okay. Yeah, so you know Instapaper. These are the guys that uh, allow you to read later. So if you come across an article, and all of you Magpie fans out there, and I know you are Legion, um, know that this this is sort of like a text version of Magpie. This mm-hmm. this Instapaper thing. 
But um, it's pretty popular. <laughs> Invented by Marco Arment and uh, was one of the first apps on the uh, iOS App Store back when it launched. Uh, he eventually sold it to a company called Betaworks. And that was a few years ago because then Marco went on and sold all kinds of other things and now he makes Overcast. But Betaworks continued development of Instapaper. Uh, again, this is a, a service that will take a URL that you hand it, parse it, the content on it, and then pull out a text-only version, basically, so that in the app later on, you can read the article, and it is just the text. It's not a whole-on web page, right? Mm-hmm. So, as Betaworks has continued to refine that engine, they've received a lot of requests, by their words anyway, to make it available as an API, and so that's what they've finally done here this week. Instaparser is the API behind Instapaper. So that developers who want to parse a text uh, web page to pull out its component parts without all the cruft around it mm. uh, have the means to do so now uh, by calling the Instaparser API and passing in a URL and then getting back a blob of rest uh, of json i presume yeah. so is it is it similar to like how the, the reader mode works in safari like in other words you cut yes. all the ads out in the images and yes 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 exactly it's i mean it's exactly i mean they they got it from instapaper right oh really instapaper popularized have you not am i really talking to somebody who's never heard of instapaper i never used it yeah no no okay i, I use the heck out of this app i mean i've been an instapaper customer since day one mm-hmm. and there's it's a rare day that goes by that I don't have something in my Instapaper queue to read. Right. Uh, I always process it every night in bed before I go to sleep. I'm like, okay, what articles did I miss that are in my queue? And I pop them open, and it's and it's like being in Reader View in Safari, right? Right, right, yeah. So it's a, it's a really nice service. And this is like the API-ification of that service. Hmm. So for... Any kind of reason that you can imagine, if you're a developer, uh, you can employ this service to take a URL and then pass back. Like, and the results here, I'll. Can I show you this? If I just throw this uh, link in here to our chat, and then you can look at what uh, Instapaper's out, or sorry, Instaparser's output looks like. So it would take a main image from the page and you give it to you as a thumbnail. Uh, give you the title, the date and a summary block of text, as well as the full HTML of the main text of the body of the article that's on the page you've handed it. It, it gives that to you in nice, sweet JSON, which, you know, as you're a developer, you might know this, you can do whatever the hell you want with it then. Right. So, nice little service. And it's a paid service. Here's the other thing. Mm. Uh, so, if you want to use this, you can use it for free. Uh, and it's, it's fairly limited, but, you know, if you're using it for personal use, you are unlikely to hit the ceiling on that. Um, their free trial has a thousand monthly calls to the API uh, and no more than one per second. And hmm. so that's the free account. They call it a trial account, but I think, you know, you might call it a personal use it for yourself sort of thing. Right, right. Um, but their the plans really step up. I mean, uh, the, the, the first pricing tier is $100 a month. <laughs> and uh, in a few minutes, we'll talk about um, another monthly pricing thing that makes you go, wow. But uh, let's leave that for a moment. <laughs> and they've got five uh, sort of tiers here, uh, including the enterprise version where you just, you know, call us, tell us how much money you have, and then we'll tell you how much this thing costs. I love that. Don't you love that? Enterprise pricing? I'm not surprised it's expensive because, I, to be honest, I can't think of 
any use that a, that a third-party app would have for that except to make something that essentially competes with Instapaper, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if they're going to put that out there, I think they and, and risk competition, they're going to want to get uh, get paid for it. But it, it raises the question of why why are they doing this at all? I guess yeah, that's a very interesting question. Any yeah. any thoughts? I don't know. Hmm. I have a thought. I mean, BetaWorks purchased um, Instapaper. I'm sure that you know there's the same sort of challenges we talk about for developers. Um, they're not exactly an enormous developer, but, but they're by no means small. But they have to play by the same rules, right? Where um, you know subscription services and all these other things, and it's harder to sell an app. Do, do you move to freemium? Do you do this? Do you do that? Maybe this gives them uh, an alternative to say, hey, look, we've got this essential technology that's interesting that we think other people might want to use, right? So there's competitors out there like Pocket and a few others, and maybe somebody might be interested in saying, yeah, we've we've got a need for this kind of thing, and uh, we can see what it does kind of from using Instapaper, the app, as a nice showcase of what this thing can do, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you can only imagine, like, your branding here or so on and so forth. True. I, I think it's just like a maybe like a bit of a pivot for the business model there. I agree. I, I think it's definitely at least an ancillary revenue source for the company. Way to bolster the revenues from this product as such as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly a sign that they feel their parser is mature enough to handle this kind of yeah, that kind of traffic, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I do similar kind of things like, you know, and maybe if your, your scripting skills aren't up to snuff in terms of like Unix scripting or whatever, um, I do that with some of the content we serve up. We take, you know, uh, web pages that, you know, the authors write and strip them down to their bare essentials, turn them into JSON and send them up to our app, right? And then, and then you know, use UI kit to, you know, relay them out again, if, if you will. Um, but I could see if somebody didn't have that kind of, back-end API kind of knowledge, they might be able to take advantage of a service like this, right? Well, I think it's it's much more complex than it sounds. Well, it's also scalable, too. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is like my little app is, you know, used by, you know, handfuls of people per day as opposed to millions of people, like we said earlier today, right? So Right. And, you know, like I said, I've been using Instapaper for many years, and mm-hmm. I can tell you that its parsing engine has not been perfect for all those years by any right. stretch, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it has a habit or has had a habit of pulling in extraneous detail um, mm-hmm. and, and missing content content and things like that. And for the last few years, the app has had a report problem button at the bottom of every article. So right, if yeah. you, you do find an issue, then you can very quickly and easily let them know about it. And I think they've been using that feedback to perfect this engine because you can imagine like the reports pouring in from the users of the app, of whom there are many. Um, and it you know includes the, the URL at issue, as well as the, you know, the a little description of what the problem was, like missing text or you know, extraneous text, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as they continue to get that feedback, they can very readily improve it. And it's to the point now where I can very clearly tell that it's much better than it used to be. And I, I rarely find formatting issues with Instapaper's output. And so, you know, they're like, hey, <laughs> it's game time. Let's put our face on and like go out there and, and, and sports hard. Well, like that, metaphors? that makes Baseball perfect season. makes makes perfect sense because uh, I mean you know HTML standards have changed over time and you know the, the, how how articles and and div- divisions are tagged changes over time and and changes over time as well as you know going from HTML to HTML five that changed the whole structure as well and I'm sure as as time has gone by they've had to adapt their their parser right totally. Mm-hmm. 
um, and just improved it. So it's good. It's good. Um, you know, like I don't. I'm hard pressed to think that the only use for this API is to create a competitor to Instapaper. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to imagine here, and I, you know, um, everyone has their own imaginations, and you can use them as you wish. But in my case, I'm thinking, what if I were making an app that allowed people to look things up, you mm-hmm. know, as alongside whatever the app actually does, like a documentation viewer or something, maybe, or a recipe app, right? Like, um, what's that one called? Throw me a bone. Paprika. You know Paprika? The recipe app? You've mentioned it before, yeah. I have, yeah. I think it's been a pick on this show. So, uh, one of its features is to go out on the web and uh, allow you to browse sites that host recipes. Mm-hmm. And so, possibly, uh, you know, an Instapaper parser, Instaparser, could, uh, could uh, give you much more standardized looking uh, feedback on a web page instead of, you know, because I think the experience of loading up a, like a raw web page, like just any random page on the web, is kind of icky. Mm-hmm. But if you could throw it through the parser first, then you could really standardize the look of content that you're just allowing users to access openly on the web. I don't know. I'm spitballing here, but uh, it sounds like an interesting idea. Hmm. Just throwing it out there. Mm, sounds good. be interesting to see what people come up with using it. Yep. All right. What's next? What is next? What's next? Okay. Um, I'll go. You and your text expander. Yeah, uh, I'm not actually a huge use of, of Text Expander, but uh, this was a big item in the news this week. Mm-hmm. Text Expander, the long, long, long lived uh, text expanding utility for the Mac and also for iOS nowadays, mm-hmm. has announced an update. I believe it's version 6 of the app on, on the Mac, at least. Um, and they have also released new versions for iOS and for the first time for Windows. Mm. And so this new version of the application, which essentially allows you to set up a series of shortcuts that you would type, um, like TTL would be, you know. Talk to you later. Well, yeah, it would be. But you could change that to be, you know, whatever uh, common valedictory statement you have at mm-hmm. the end of any text message, like your, your footer and, you know, address and okay. et cetera, et cetera. You know, so it's basically a very um, well-regarded uh, text substitution utility. So the whole point of it is to save you keystrokes, right? Okay. Um, so today they've uh, announced that, or not today, uh, yesterday as we record on the 6th, that they are announcing a new version and the real difference with this version, uh, not much in the way of features, but what they've done is changed their entire business model. So instead of buying the software outright, now you will get it for free and pay a subscription fee for individuals it's $5 a month and for teams it's $10 a month per user so <laughs> uh, people who are using the software uh, are understandably a little upset because if they upgrade um, they won't get many new features but they will now have to pay a monthly fee in order to use it properly is my mm. understanding what do you guys think of that? <laughs> well, we kind of talked about that last week, last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah because last we, week we talked about subscription revenue for apps. Yeah. Right? Yep. What was the context? Uh, it was Shaper three D and uh, yep. and Mark Pavlidis' article on uh, exactly charging real money, real pricing for yeah, for yep. um, Flixel. Yes. Yeah, so, like, like Flixel, Cinemagraph Pro. Yes, at Flixel they are charging. $250 for the Cinemagraph Pro for iOS, yep. 300 for the Mac version. And you you mentioned Shaper, which is a monthly thing that you pay for. And it's we, we were cool with that last week. I mean, we were pretty 
in favor. At least How are we now this week? Well, okay, let me finish my sentence, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> because Shaper is a tool for professional use right. uh, that is is meant to be sort of the, the, the user's main tool for doing 3D modeling, for example. And making right? real money from that, presumably. Yeah. Presumably, yes. And uh, that's sort of where I kind of scratch my head thinking about Text Expander because it's essentially a productivity utility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I separate, in my mind anyway, utilities from applications right. in, the, in, the, in the pre-iOS app store sense of application. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the sort of thing that back in the day you would buy in a box and would be on 10 yeah, twenty nine ninety nine 99 or something, exactly, yeah. It cost yeah. you $500 like Microsoft Word did. Um, mm. <laughs> or, or less. <laughs> um, student discounts on that were amazing. But. Text Expander is a utility. It's something that you, uh, I think Michael Sai, I got a link in here to Michael Sai's roundup of this, which uh, gets co- uh, quotes from all kinds of people all over talking about it. Um, but then he summarizes it too. Uh, Text Expander 4 was $35 in 2012. Right. Yep. And then they had a $20 update for version 5 in May of 2015. So that was three years apart. Mm-hmm. So now with a $5 uh, sorry, $5 per month subscription, mm-hmm. you are, of course, ultimately going to pay a lot more for the software than you did before, right? Now, so, so there are certainly people out there who are so hooked on Text Expander, right, that they, they're going to eat that because it's worth it to them. Sure. But I have a really hard time imagining uh, a non-Text Expander or any kind of text substitution utility user looking at the market and seeing Text Expander's $5 a month and thinking, yeah, I'm going to go for that. Right. Yeah. No. I, I think I'm in that camp of people who would say, "No, I don't need this tool." Yeah. I, I can. I can very quickly talk myself out of that. Mm-hmm. Any thought that I might be interested in a text substitution utility quickly wiped away by a five dollar a month subscription price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, any anyone here use Text Expander? Nope, yeah. I do not. Me neither. I think. It, I think it was talked about uh, by some of our pals on on. Um, our Slack group because some of them do videos and, and when they're typing out code, it, they probably they'd like to have a key command that they could hit and just you know have the code typing for them rather than having you know sure. having watch viewers suffer through us bad typing in Xcode you know oh right yeah while the video is actually rolling yeah, and exactly. having that yeah. play out sure sure you know Apple has a utility it's very ugly and ugly and not very user friendly but when they do their presentations mm-hmm. um, at WWDC. I used to have this thing. I can't remember what it is anymore. Oh, de- Demo Monkey? Yeah, that's it. Demo yeah. Monkey. Yeah. yeah. So basically, you, you set it up with you know the order of the uh, pasteboards that you want. Yeah. And then uh, sort of every time you paste, it's the next one in the queue. Um, but it's ugly as all get out. <laughs> well, I was using it. I did it. What, the video series I did, which was, uh, it's out now. It's the, um, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, the iOS X, uh, 8 ex- extensions. For right. that, for the iOS 8 extensions series, I used um, uh, AppleScript and Automator. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I basically loaded up the strings in, in, with an AppleScript that I ran. I could call from Automator, and then I would just, you know, pause the video or technically and go under the and use services to load up the, the strings I was typing. Right. Yeah. Because I've used Demo Monkey too, and I, I'm not a big fan of that one. Okay, yeah, I know it's it's pretty damn ugly, but I'm gonna put a link in the show notes for it anyway. Sure, yeah. Because um, <laughs> what the hell? Um, how does this thing work? The keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know. Okay, so uh, yeah. Now, so last week, of course, 
you know, this is going to sound kind of funny what we're talking about with Text Expander, but last week I personally said I think subscriptions as a business model makes a lot of sense. And so, how do I score that with Text Expander? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my answer is basically look, if you're going to charge a subscription price for something, it has to be something that the user is going to use as their main tool, you know, mm-hmm. or as, as a main tool, right, to get their work done. It has to be a productivity tool in my mind. Right. Um, you know, and I'm well, in this and, orb- and it has to be the right price. I mean, if they charged. 99 cents a month you might say yeah that's that's probably that's fine maybe that's yeah you know i had that same thought too mark like if if it weren't five dollars right because you know you could spend seven dollars a month and get uh microsoft office for personal use Mm -hmm. which is not a utility but a full-fledged suite of applications right yes right so yeah personally i think they're just way out to lunch on the pricing um, if it were $99 a month, would I? I don't know. Yeah. Even that might be a little much. But, you know, again, I'm, well, I'm actually not the audience for this at all. So I'm not going to. Kudos to them for trying. And, sure. you know, they'll see how the business goes and maybe they'll do really well or maybe they won't and they'll end up lowering their price. And it, actually, it'll be a good uh, test case for all of us. Yeah. To see what happens. For sure. Uh, it's just that I, I can't imagine uh, even contemplating this kind of plan for a, a tool like that, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's what it comes down to is um, we're going to have to see just how addictive it is for their existing customers because I suspect that um, they must be thinking that this is going to be something that they are hoping to get their existing customers to use. Hmm. Like, I just keep coming back to this. This is the one thing I just can't get out of my head. How is someone who wants to get a tech substitution utility going to think of possibly spending the money on this thing? When and if you look, there's tons of others out there, including one called A Type. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I'm just looking. I'm looking through my my folder right now because I I was using one on the last bunch of videos. Yeah, similar idea, but it wasn't. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't Text Expander. I just passed the T's. Typeinator, type it for me. Keyboard Maestro. Type it for me. That's A Text. Yeah, I mean that's a long-standing one. A Text is the one that was particularly pulled out for me today, um, and it's five dollars. You buy it on the Mac App Store, and apparently it's very similar to um, Text Expander. Text Expander, yeah. I used yeah. to think use a thing called Quick Keys, which yeah, I was surprised I to find out is still around. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, in this kind of competitive environment, I, I'm just like, come on. <laughs> anyway, that's my thinking. You know what? You know what the big reason is I don't use a, a tool like this. Uh, it's the setup. You know, yeah. Yeah. there's just I got to think about why I would need this. I don't know. I guess no, nobody on this podcast uses one either, right? Well, no, so, I, I, like I said, I've used a number, tried. but only but only for specific things. Like, actually, one of the things I what uh, one of the things I was able to do was I was actually add, able to add key commands to applications that don't have key commands with this tool that uh, Tammy recommended. Let me see if I can reach out to her. You can do that on the Mac. Follow up. Yeah, no, it was uh, something else. Hang on. Yeah, but I mean, you can do that uh, with the operating system. It'll let you do that. You don't need a tool. Maybe you're a tool. <laughs> I'm curious on the expected audience um, before and after this transition. As I mentioned, I personally don't use this um, this tool. Um, my needs are not great enough in terms of doing the repetitive text expanding pieces, so I'm very curious. I, I would love if anybody here has a, a clue or 
happens to specifically know, that'd be great. Uh, I guess one thing that's coming to mind, right? As I mentioned, I'm I'm not a user of this tool, but I have seen people use similar things in very specific categories. Uh, I'll take, for example, customer support. Customer support teams live and breathe and die off of their Zendesk tool, uh, as an example, where, you know, yes, you're going to get this same exact request or this same exact inquiry, um, you know, crazy person off the street sort of thing, whatever have you, multiple times per day. And rather than typing it out, you're more or less getting a shortcut that gives them a form letter to say, hey, great, thank you, please come again. <laughs> right, right, that sort of stuff. Uh, I don't happen to do that, so I don't have those kind of needs. Um, nor am I somebody who's doing a lot of uh, screencasts or other type things that are also a very specific niche need. Um, I'm very curious oh. what that audience is because, I, again, since I'm not a user, I can't foresee what those are. I think that's what they're aiming their team's product at, Jaime. They've got this like $10 a user per month for companies who want to use Text Expander, And I think that's exactly the sort of use case they have in mind. So it's so, possible that they've got, you know, a better angle on the corporate market or the commercial market rather than the consumer market, mm-hmm. where I just, I just can't get my head in that. <laughs> so you like real-time follow-up, don't you? Yeah. I love real-time follow-up, especially okay. when you're not lying about your battery meter. <laughs> Hit me, Tim. What do you got? Uh, keyboard Maestro. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned that one. Yeah. Did you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. That's the yeah, one. That's, that's the that's one we've good, been using. Yeah. Yeah, that's been around since uh, the classic Mac days. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I used it back then, and then uh, it jumped to OS X when it came out, and I uh, used it there for a while, and then uh, it sort of got subsumed because it, it does a lot of things, Keyboard Maestro, and mm-hmm. um, uh, but one of the most important features that it had was launching applications, <laughs> and oh, right. um, yeah. and so uh, many apps came out that did the same thing with the uh, you know mm-hmm. command space, right? Like uh, what was that one that was open source, super cool? Hmm. Well, there's Launch Bar. Uh, wa- um, and Alfred, yeah, and then of course Spotlight itself, right? Yeah. So um, a lot of great tools for that, and Keyboard Maestro was like one of the first ones to do stuff like that. But it does way more. It's like keyboard-based macros. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you could see a big difference. Like there's a lot of daylight between Keyboard Maestro and Text Expander. Right. You know, it's not just a substitution for editing text. It's like a a, a giant macro tool for controlling your computer, doing all kinds of things. Keyboard Maestro. Keyboard Maestro. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it was very similar to Quick Keys, which I used to use back before a lot of applications even had uh, command keys in their apps, right? So back in in the 80s and 90s. I'm trying to remember. uh, uh, There was this one other app (laughs) that was super popular. I can't remember what it was. And it went open source, and it's still around today. Hmm. Uh, And it it was the coolest thing because it, it used to... You'd hit the uh, command space, and it would come up with a little modal in the middle of your screen, mm-hmm. and then you could you could type a shortcut to bring up a mode. Say, for example, you wanted to move a file, and of course you could launch apps. You could just like type saf and then Safari, and you hit return, and Safari launches. But then you could do a lot of other things like you know copy file cp, and then you know the copy file would come up. You'd hit return, and then you you type again to choose the file off your file system. Hmm. And so you could like move files around in your your system without taking your hands off the keyboard. Wow! Oh yeah, it was awesome, and it's you know it's still around and uh, it had all hmm. kinds of themes and it looked really badass. <laughs> and uh, I can't remember what it's called. Come on, somebody on this podcast, save me! 
Well, I don't know, but I used to use a tool ah, back in the multitasking day. Remember MultiFinder? You used to always crash your Mac? Or yeah. Are you that old? Yeah. Yes, um, I, I used to use a tool called DiskTop, which allowed you to do stuff. And one of the things it allowed you to do, with, which I thought was really cool, was copy files from one place to another as opposed to moving them. I mean, sorry, it was like a move instead of copy, right? Yeah, so. yeah, you could do that with this thing, too. You could you know, move, do all kinds. Like, the, I was just, you know, one example of thousands. And then you can get plugins for it, too, and, mm-hmm. you know, control other... I just thought if I said desktop, it might remind you. No, of... no, it's not desktop. Okay, well, why don't we move on and we can... Yeah, yeah. You, you, can, you can go, oh, yeah, I remember now. I will just blurt it out in the middle yeah, of a sentence. exactly. I'm just going to blurt it out. Yeah. So you better... Pay attention. One last note, because I just happened to be looking at the uh, Keyboard Maestro page. So it is $36 US and $48.93 Canadian. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at their order form, and you can pay with credit card, PayPal, and the one that caught my attention was pay with Amazon. Oh, really? I haven't seen too many of those. Oh, really? Hmm. How is pay with Amazon? How does that work? So that is part of Amazon's uh, payments program, which I will put into the show notes here. I'm seeing more and more of pay with Amazon and and things. Quicksilver! Quicksilver! (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! I found it! (laughs) And you blurted it out just like that. I told you I would. Didn't lie. Okay, so I'm going to paste that link in the show. Sorry, Jaime. I'm I'm such a sad You know, somebody was telling me about Quicksilver in one of the courses I was teaching, and actually, I think I loaded it up but forgot about it. You're right. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I do. Yeah. I often, I often, well, there were, I mean, a lot of disk utility. When you bought, used to buy hard drives, you used to come with these crappy disk formatters, and one of them had a very a similar name, Silver or something similar to Quicksilver. But, but yes, familiar with that one. Okay. Check it out. Links in the show notes. It, I don't, you know, I guess it's still around, but it's uh, pretty cool. Quicksilver? Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah no, no, for sure. I, I, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. Literally, I have it on my computer. Literally. Literally. Okay. Literally and figuratively. Wow. Okay, Jaime, sorry. I'm I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm sorry. No worries. I was, uh, in a way, buying time until I knew that you would be able to remember. Did you say buying time? Buying time, yeah. See, that. that's funny because we're talking about a payment thing. Exactly. You see what he did there? You see what I did? Okay, go on. <laughs> I'm reading your article now. Go. Who put up the Mac Mini Colo? I did. <laughs> Told you I filled this thing with my links. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shall, oh, yes. Okay, let's do this. Next on our list, Tim, mm-hmm. uh, big news this week in the Mac hosting space, mm-hmm. of which there are not many companies, I'm not going to lie to you, when developers want to put up a website, they often think Linux, and if they're like me, they go to a company called Linode, where they get a, a VPS, virtual private server, to host their Linux machine. And Linux is the operating system of choice if you're going to host something. However, because we're all Mac users, um, sometimes people prefer the idea of having a web-connected Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Do we call them Macintoshes anymore? We don't, right? It's Max. 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 Yeah, yeah. Max. So, uh, perhaps the best-known company for this is Mac Mini Colo, um, and you would never guess what they do by their name. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on! You're just gonna—it's you guys are such a tough room. You guys are a really tough room. Okay. I'm so very they, quietly they, and patiently listening to your story. You're, you're weaving a tapestry. 
<laughs> you're you're slowly killing me, Jaime. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> so Mac Mini Colo, as you might guess, uh, co-locates a Mac Mini for you <laughs> and mm-hmm. charges you um, in two ways. So first, of course, for the slot in their racks, as it were, mm-hmm. and they have a facility in Las Vegas, I believe. Mm-hmm. And would also charge you a monthly fee to, um, I guess, lease to own or rent to own uh, a Mac Mini. Right. Right. And so they'll offer you an, a variety of configurations. Or you can buy one yourself and mail it to them, and then they'll rack it for you. Mm-hmm. So they're a pretty well-known company for doing that. Now, I've never, I mean, I've looked at them and thought, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Because I like Macs. And, mm-hmm. you know. So you could have like a, you know, uh, what's it called? Remote desktop into um, a a data center hosted Mac mini, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then do anything that you'd like on that. And, you know, if, if I came out with a, a, a really solid answer to that, do anything you like, uh, you know, something more specific than that, then I'm sure I would have gotten one by now. Right. Well, so the news this week is Mac Mini Colo has merged with a larger company based in Florida called Mac Stadium, which I suppose is also a Mac hosting company. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, merger allowed Mac Stadium to pick up facilities in Las Vegas, uh, which is something that they've wanted to do, I guess, for some time. Mm-hmm. And the owner of Mac Mini Colo has become an executive in the new merged Mac Stadium. Uh, so now there's this larger company and their larger scale has allowed them to offer this, quote, impossible deal, unquote. Mm-hmm. So the deal is pretty compelling. I mean, if, if, if you have any interest at all, okay, in having a hosted Mac Mini plugged into a, a high-end data center somewhere, mm-hmm. then this is a really good time for you to act. So the, the Impossible promo basically gives you a Mac Mini uh, and the promo, uh, sorry, the uh, configuration here is a 2.3 gigahertz quad-core i7 with 16 gigs of RAM. And the hard drive is your choice between a one terabyte spinning disk or a 250 gig SSD. That one is $10 more. Uh, static IP with half a terabyte of bandwidth mm-hmm. and then it's you know various services that they offer alongside that um and so the price for that is 69 us per month uh and if you want the 250 terabyte ssd <laughs> terabyte wouldn't that be nice 250 gig ssd that's 80 dollars a month mm-hmm. so that's a that's a really good price and that's not like a special like it you get that for the length of your contract so if um uh, you stick this, stick with this for like three years. The price doesn't change. Interesting. So, it's a really good deal. Um, so, if I can, Aaron, you may not have heard of this. There's a faraway place called Toronto. Toronto. Have you heard of it? I hear people refer to it as the Six. The Six. Yeah. Well, in Toronto, there's a company called Clarity Hosted Solutions that's been hosting Mac Minis for a long, long time. I'm, I'm listening to him. I'm clicking links and I'm listening to you. I Keep put talking. a link in the uh, chat. Yeah, I see it. Um, where you can do similar things. Because, I mean, as a Canadian, and, and just to back up here, I want to I want to counter something you said the other day that last on oh, a previous episode, this is a Canadian-centered podcast. It's not, in fact. It's Canadian and American because we have two Americans on the show. Anyway, that's... At the time uh, I said that, we didn't, right? Okay, perhaps. Okay. But, but the... the um, oh, Strapped him. Okay, sorry. I'm my just, point, my, yeah, well, you can get to the holy crap in a minute. But okay. my, my point is, you know, you never know when that wall between Canada and the U.S. is going to go up, right? So, And, and Trump's going to make us pay for that, too. Yeah, exactly. That's the galling part. He's going to have us lay the bricks, too. I mean, 
Yeah, like can you imagine putting a wall like right through Lake Ontario? <laughs> That's gonna be a bitch, Tim. I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, lots of cement have to be put. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this is a. I know a buddy of mine uses this for his clients to host uh, Max. So, but anyway, just thought I'd put it. So, so what's the holy crap comment about the pricing? Yeah, so uh, the pricing is actually very attractive. I mean, it seems to be. So you can configure a Mac Mini. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I, I I've just arrived here, so I don't know how they're structuring things. Yeah, you can you can rent you can you can put your own Mac Mini on their rack. You can rent one from them, or you can buy one out right, and they'll put it on the rack. In fact, they're talking about having Mac Pros coming soon as well. Right, which are a challenge to rack mount, I'm sure. But uh, okay, so does this include like? Yes, it does. So this is. Um, Here's what I'm doing. Just, I'm sorry, for the people in your cars. Uh, I'm looking at the Mac. Thank you. I'm looking at the Mac dedicated server page, which are Mac minis. And you can choose four models here currently on their page. Everything from a, a 1.4 Core i5 to a 2. Point, or sorry, 3.0 Core i7. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they all start with very basic configurations, like a 4 gigs of RAM mm-hmm. in particular. right? So you can choose a 2.5 gig hertz uh, i5 for $60 a month. Mm-hmm. These are Canadian prices too, right? Because it's Canadian site. Is it? Is it? Yeah, it's Toronto. Yeah. There's there's a goddamn maple leaf in the top right corner, so there, it better be Canadian dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. and But then, you know, you can... This is where they get you. <laughs> uh, you want actual RAM? Then you can uh, put 16 gigs uh, for $15 a month. Mm-hmm. Right? You want to... You got to choose a hard drive. No, it comes with a 500 gig hard drive. Uh, but if you want more, like you want to go up to a 256 gig SSD, that's another $20 a month. Mm-hmm. But bandwidth. Then you have to choose bandwidth. Their options are from um, what was it two terabytes up to five terabytes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I choose two terabytes. I mean, who needs that? That's another ten dollars a month. Now my fifty nine dollar Mac Mini turned into a hundred and four dollar machine. Yeah, so t- clearly it's better to buy your own Mac, set it up, and take it over there and have them and pay them to put it on a rack. Yeah, and I guess looking at this form, the actual hosting costs are tied up in their bandwidth option. Mm-hmm. Because everything else is a hardware configuration. Yep. So if you handed them a Mac Mini and had them plug it into their rack, you'd be spending ten dollars a month for two terabytes. Hmm. Nah, 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 nah. Mm. So let's go to the colocation section and figure that one out. So okay, here we are. Mac Mini starter, one IP, hundred megabit port, RPC, half a terabyte hard drive. Or sorry, of bandwidth is thirty dollars a month. Which is still good because something like that on Rackspace on a, a like a web server oh, package Rackspace? would be Rackspace. like one hundred and fifty bucks. It would be crazy, yeah. Yeah, you don't walk in the door for less than like five thousand dollars. Rackspace, you know those guys. Okay, anyway, um, I'm done blabbing. But um, anyway, if you're in the states, look at Mac Mini Colo. They're a good company. I mean, uh, they, they've got a great reputation, and uh, <laughs> this is a pretty nice deal. But I, I guess the the discussion that I wanted to spawn from this was, what would you do with a uh, you know, like a data space sitting Mac Mini. Host a bunch of websites. Well, okay, yeah, you could host. I've done a bunch that of before. You can do that with uh, Linux, but I guess this would be a lot easier to configure. I mean, there are well, yes there are a lot no. of GUI tools that are kind of handy for configuring Apache. Yeah, on host, hosting on Mac servers has has changed over the years. It used to be used to be you have to, used to have to set up a lot of things yourself, and it was a bit easier. Yeah. Um, I always liked Mac uh, using uh, what was that tool we used to use on for spam was a lot easier to manage on on Macs, but um, oh, I can't remember the name of the tool. But anyway, um, yeah, and and as 
you know, OS 10 server has evolved. It's gotten harder and harder to sort of do customization stuff because Apple kind of, you know, changes the configuration away from the standard norm stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I've heard that complaint, too. Mm -hmm. um, and OS 10 server has become sort of a, a weird product of late. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you could do things like, now that you say that, you could do things like, uh, you could put an SSL certificate on, you could do um, uh, mobile device management yourself if you wanted to use the OS X server service to do that kind of stuff. Right. You know, um, yeah, I could, uh, pretty much the only thing I would think about it would be hosting sites and maybe doing some sort of, you know, private drop Dropboxy kind of thing, you know, but yourself, but... Right. Well, let me. Um, one of the web service like, using something like the perfect, uh, perfect uh, Swift based yeah. web website. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. To your server, your API for your app. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The um, Mac Mini Colo's site has a blog post where they list fifty <clears throat> things to do with your Mac Mini server. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so here's here's just a list of a whole whack of items that you could install and run from your Mac Mini server. Um, OS X server is top of the list, right? So it's mail, web, wiki, device management, um, all those stuff from Apple. And uh, build uh, build server, like if you want a distributed build server, you can run Jenkins on it. Mm, uh, true, yeah. GitLab, you ever heard of GitLab? It's like um, GitHub, except you can install it yourself on your own machine. Mm. Uh, we use that at Disney, actually, and it's, uh, it's actually quite nice um, and updated frequently. The more you know. Um, Virtual Host X lets you set up multiple websites quickly. Hmm. Um, Crash Plan, if you want to do a backup to your own server. Right, yeah. Then you can install Crash Plan there. Uh, Plex Server, so you can host files there. You need Would to you attach a lot do more. Do that? <laughs> well, you could. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I don't know. So, FileMaker Server, they mentioned. Let's see. Run your own Minecraft server. Vagrant which is a tool that lets you configure development environments. Mm -hmm. Put Xcode on your server and develop from anywhere, it says. Yeah, you can use Drygen that way. Right, right, right. Or Dringen, Dringen, Dringen. I don't know how to pronounce Dringen. it. Dringen. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he was on, he was on a podcast with um, a friend of the show. Oh, now I've forgotten his name. Oh, Vic. not much of a friend. Vic. Okay. Yeah, he used to run a podcast, <laughs> so he doesn't do it anymore. Okay. Um, I'm just going to put a link into this article, 50 things to do with your or Mac server. Okay. And then, um, see, I'm not the only one pasting things in here, am I? No. No. Why is Toronto called T-Dot? I'm asking. Oh, oh, that's you. I've never, I don't know. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that, but. Yeah. Uh, I know it's called the big smoke, but I don't know. Jaime posted a link here for those of you driving in your cars. Six. Uh, yes, why is Toronto called the six? And, and of course you can explain that. But uh, before it was called the six, it was called T-Dot. And I'm not sure why, but before it was called that, it was called the big smoke because a lot of manufacturing used to happen here. Yeah. Um, yeah. T-Dot because, you know, it starts with the letter T. Yeah. And, you know, it's an abbreviation, so you shorten it with a Okay, I'm going to Google this. Okay, you do that. <laughs> I like the six, though. It's clever. I'm unclear looking at this instantanswer.org answer if it's called the six because of the two area codes 416 and 647. It was or because it used to be sure. six different cities, Toronto, Scarborough, North York, East York, and... I thought it had something to do with Drake. Etobicoke. I'm not even going to... Etobicoke. It's pronounced Etobicoke. Etobicoke. That's at, but but funny thing is that's where Rob Ford came from at Tobacoke, and that's where he's gone back to. Yes, as a matter of fact, he has. Oh yes, why is Drake is trying to change the name from T dot to something else? The six. The six, yeah. 
Wait, hold on. I just realized something. What's the sixth city? Toronto, Scarborough, North York, East York, Etobicoke. That's five. Did I, did I count that up incorrectly? Well, and probably original Toronto, yes? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so... It's all the GTA. In, in this answer, there's Vegas. one that's just called York as well. There's North York, York, and East York. Yeah, well, Toronto was actually originally called York back in the really olden times. Right. And by the way, um, so apparently T-Dot came from... Uh, Toronto short form is T dot zero dot, right? Um, and apparently Cardinal That's Official. T-O. I know. T-O. I know. Yeah. With, with, with decimals between it, right? Or periods between it. So that was made f- uh, famous by rapper or Cardinal Official and Rascals. And apparently Drake is trying to change it to, from 416 to the 6. Okay. So there you go. Now you, now you know. And we are all wiser for it. I know. Toronto, Scarberia, North York, East York, York, and Etobicoke. We like to call it Scarberia because it's way mm-hmm. out there. Scarberia, yeah. That's where the electronics store that I was at on the weekend is located. Mm-hmm. Way <sighs> more than surprised. just code, folks. Way more. Yeah, electronics. Oh, yes, in Toronto. Anyway, I got a link in the show notes about this uh, 50 things to do with your Mac server. Uh, there's a few interesting things in there. Check it out. <laughs> and if you like it and are in Canada, have a look at the company that Tim has put in the show notes. I'm so, sorry, what's it called? So in the fairness of, of, you know, the show, what do they call Seattle? The Emerald City. The Emerald City. That's and a why, mouthful. And why is that? Because it's green and it's got a skyline not unlike the Emerald City from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, really? I see. Mm. I must have missed that when I was there. It's really Winter. not like hugely pushed through, but there's like um, Emerald City Comic Con, for example, that happens oh, up here. That's huh. using that. What about SeaTac? Is that just the airport? It's also a, a small city in that area. Hmm. Tacoma. Uh, Tacoma is a large, relatively large port um, city south of Seattle. And halfway in between Seattle and Tacoma is a city called SeaTac, where the airport happens to reside. Hmm. Oh, geez, the more you know. And is there a Walla Walla, Washington? There is. That is in the like southeastern part of the state, I think. <laughs> All right. And so what do they call San Jose? Uh, some people call it San Ho. Which is not so flattering, but... <laughs> I don't know. I like but, that. Uh, but clever. common. Uh, uh, a lot of people just call it Silicon Valley, the valley, because it's kind of the biggest thing in, in the valley. It's kind San of the armpit of the valley, yeah. isn't it? No. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I wouldn't. I mean, parts of, parts of San, San Jose is a very big city. So parts of it are are pretty nice. Parts of it are not so nice, you know, like any other city. So, but I is thought it, it was at the end of the valley. That's why I said armpit, not not because oh, it was particularly. Nice. I see. I see. Yes. Uh, it is kind of at the bottom of the. It's the bottom of the bay. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, kind of you know the valley. I guess the valley technically ends at the end of uh, Santa Clara County, which would be Milpitas, to the east of San Jose, and it goes in the other direction up to. Well, Palo Alto's not in Santa Clara County, or maybe it is in Santa Clara County, actually. So, yeah, so it probably goes up to Palo, it goes up to Palo Alto. Hmm. So that's the valley. And you were saying that, uh, on a previous conversation we had, I can't remember if it was in the show or not, but San Francisco actually isn't in the valley, right? No, it's def- most definitely not in the valley. And in fact, a lot of people in San Francisco would be offended if you said it was. Uh, oh, really? Huh. Maybe not these days because it's very, you know, it's trendy, very, yeah. Very trendy up there now. But at, at one time, people in San Francisco were. were kind of snooty about all things south so silicon valley was kind of where the nerds are mm. and and san francisco is where the cool people are yeah, that's kind of changed though so san francisco you can call it 
San Francisco or you can call it San Fran or you can call it SF or go the city. Uh, you just you don't call it Frisco. Really? Why? Because they get know. offended. They get offended. Really? I've seen that on Twitter. But isn't yeah, that what it was called off. back in the garden? Yeah, back in the days? old days they yeah? used to call it. You know, yeah, back in the old days they used to call it that. But really? definitely don't call it that now. So yeah, I was just call it SFO, and people know what I'm talking about. Well, that's the air. That's specifically the airport, though. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Hmm. Which Way is more than just code. Yeah, yeah. Make your plans now to come to Nashville, Tennessee and attend the best tech conference being held this year. Indie DevStock isn't just about learning the latest Apple frameworks or how to program in Swift. Indie DevStock is about making connections. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and ideas with you. Through their words, you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face, and more importantly, how to overcome them. It doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer, just starting out, or trying to decide if going indie is right for you. We're all in this together. In addition to the inspiration talks, you'll also have an opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help level up your skills. During this two-day event, not only will you get to experience Southern hospitality at its finest, but you'll also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information and to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there. All right. What's next? I, I'm done. Everything You're on my done. list has been spoken of. I mean, did you have anything on the list that was pre-selections? Pick. I do not. I do not. Okay. Let's go to selections then. Let's go to picks of the week. Picks of the week. All right. So, Aaron, why don't you lead off then? You know what, Tim? This whole have, show wait, wait, so has you been have, like, Aaron's pick. Okay. Right. Really. So, I, I have no specific one. Fair enough. But Jaime, look at Jaime. He's got two. Well, he's got a key. Swear, by the time he's halfway through his first pick, he'll have 30. Well, because he'll come up with some. He'll pull them out of his hat, you know? Yeah. Shadow picks. Yeah, shadow picks. That's <laughs> true. Incremental picks. So would you like to start off with pick version 1.0? Yes. Um, it's called the missing cheat sheet for brilliant color combinations. Mm-hmm. So um, not everybody has a BFA. Right. And for those of us who are much more on the technical side and don't know a lick of color theory, I thought this was pretty handy, mm-hmm. uh, even for my meager knowledge, to see what are these different color terms, like even basic things like hue, saturation, shade, tint, what do those really specifically mean? What are complementary colors and what are, yeah. Yeah, split, complementary, triad, analogous, uh, monochromatic and complementary, I happen to know. Uh, so that was cool. And then there's some nice explanations, some nice... Actually, some really nice example photos. Like they show the saturation one has um, the one f- scene from Scott Pilgrim versus the World, mm-hmm. where you can see that Ramona Flowers, I think the last name is, yeah. her character is, has this like really vibrant. Um, I'm going to butcher this color. Is it like it's somewhere between fuchsia. pink and purple? Fuchsia. <laughs> fuchsia. There we go. This is when Not he. Magenta. This is when he meets her at the party. Right, and they they give you examples not only. 
you know examples you can look at but also some guidance of like when would you want to use some of these things you know you could use some of these to get a very bold contrast between things but use it in limited quantities for example so mm -hmm. some guidance there for, for those of us who uh, you know may not have a background in this sort of thing but you know you still want to put an app together and you may or may not be able to hire a designer so it's just me myself and i doing this sort of thing mm -hmm. So here's a trivia question. Tim, you probably know the answer to this one because it's an artsy thing. Uh, why, why is it that sometimes when people talk about the primary colors, they say they use red, blue, and green, mm -hmm. and other times they use for the primary colors red, blue, and yellow? Mm -hmm. Would you like me to answer that? You know, Tim, sure, go ahead. Of course yeah. I do. One, one, the yeah. first one is for the primary colors of pigment, and the second one, or sorry, it was, you said red, green, blue, red, green, blue first? Yep. That's pr primary colors of white light, and the other one is primary colors of pigments. For painting uh yeah that's true but there's actually a, it's it well so you so you're the artist and i'm the physicist former physicist okay. yeah so, oh yes so, of course. yeah it's a, <laughs> but it's but it's, you're right it's exactly it's the same. And it's, color, right? it's exactly yeah so if if your eye is detecting light that's kind of sent to you like from a from a screen mm -hmm. then the primary colors are include green red blue and green right but if you're looking at something on print what you're actually seeing is the stuff that's not absorbed right. and is reflected back at you. Yep. And so for that kind of color, it's, you use red, blue, and yellow. Mm -hmm. There you go. More than just code. Well, and do you know why they use black in printing? No, I don't. Well, the reason in black in printing, four-color process, the primary colors are cyan, magenta, and yellow, and black. And the reason why is because the, the, in pure terms, by definition, magenta, yellow, and black, sorry, magenta, yellow, and cyan should add up to make black, but they don't. In fact, they make kind of a gray-brown. So they use black color to, black ink to um, make the black blacker. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you see what we call a rich black, was actually a combination of black ink and cyan ink at about 70%. So there's my desktop publishing days coming back to haunt us. Yeah, cool. And I see here uh, in the color psychology section, just to tie it all together to what <laughs> Aaron had mentioned before, that this uh, recipe app, Paprika, you'll notice it has a red base color for its app. And surprise, surprise, this is linked to impulse and excitement and works well when associated with food and fun, according to this cheat sheet. Hmm. Now, there's, there's a, a theory of color, too, called um, Cooler, which we've talked about on the show before, K-U-L-E-R. And it's a good way of making combinations. And there was an app we talked about from Adobe. I'm just trying to look it up on my phone here. Um, I think it used to be called Adobe Color. It may still be. But you can get you can download it to your phone, and you can hold it up to, um, like, with, with the camera, and it'll pick, you know, three colors or four colors or five colors in what you're looking at and, and pick out the best cooler mix for it. Yeah, Adobe Color got uh, changed. It's now just part of Color Creative, whatever the heck it is, CC. Mm -hmm. uh, color.adobe.com. Color, American spelling, of course, no U. Mm -hmm. Don't know about an app, though. Yeah, it was yeah they, they do yeah, it's called app, Adobe Color. Adobe Color, yeah. Adobe yeah, Color CC. And, and they've, they've updated it so that it integrates with your Adobe Creative Cloud account. Cloud, so if you go you. and you yes. find something interesting, you know, out in the park during lunch, you can save that color palette and it'll show up right in Photoshop. Yeah, the other thing too about the Adobe stuff is cool. The iOS apps is for the majority of them, they're free. And all you have to do is register like, like getting an Apple ID, get an Adobe ID, and then you can use the apps. So a lot of a lot of the apps, I don't have an Adobe uh, Creative Cloud account, but I still use a lot of their Adobe Draw. I think it's now called Adobe Illustrator. Um, you know, the, some of the apps that I have on my iPad as well. So, 
But the cooler thing is kind of neat. If you even even for someone like me who's got you know you know art training, it's a nice way of picking out some colors. So if you're trying to theme your your game or your app, you know um, the cooler thing is kind of a neat way to to sort of decide what green and what, what what blue goes with what green for your buttons and your navigation bars and that kind of stuff. Cool. Hi, mate. You got another pick? I do, okay. and uh, it, it's a couple months old, but I hadn't gotten around to mentioning it. But I do make use of it often and that's issue and pull request templates for github Hmm. so you know if you're running a project or even just have a team and you want to get some sort of consistency on people adding you know new issues to the project um what sort of information do you need for a pull request and they actually also have a contributors um like document or guide that's actually really easy to do i mean all you do is you you know, you can create a .github folder and you can put in a contributing markdown file, issue template markdown, or pull request template. And I do believe these have to be specifically named, so be very careful. We've got the um, documentation and blog from GitHub in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And it's super handy. So if you go in and you're like, hey, I've, I've just finished this issue, now I'm going to, cr- or I should say this, you know, this ticket of, of work to do, this chunk of work, I want to create a pull request. Instead of like, well, let me go to some other area and grab a template or heck even use text expander or something like no 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 no. the template just tells you what do you need to fill in for this pull request so common things that that we've used is like you know some sort of summary some sort of detail um to do's or gotchas what kind of testing was done with it um external resources all these sort of things that you could just you know i got tired of like oh my gosh i can't believe i have to copy and paste this from somewhere else every single time or even if I had a text expander, I was like, man, do I really have to go through the effort of doing this sort of thing? And I looked it up and said, like, hey, GitHub actually you know, natively supports this where I hit create pull request and bang, here's everything that my team has standardized on for what we want for pull requests. It's it's great. I mean, it makes my life so much easier. Cool. I take it your, your team uses GitHub, eh? Correct. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. Nothing better than taking a distributed version control system and putting it in a centralized location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have a question. So this comes up a lot when we're talking on, on Slack and stuff like that. What uh, tool do you guys use for Markdown? You know, I don't do a whole lot of Markdown sort of just raw and alone. I, I know some folks on the team have used um, Atom, I think, uses, mm-hmm. handles that. I think uh, Sublime Text or TextMate 2, I want to say one of those two, handles it reasonably well. I've used a, a small little, like, toy tool called uh, Mo or Moo. I'll, I'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. M-O-U. And it's kind of nice because it gives you the live preview. So you can see the markdown and you can see what it looks like at the same time. Right. I use Atom, and, uh, but BBEdit actually handles, um, I was surprised to find. I've been using BBEdit for a long, long time. Um, but it it handles uh, Markdown preview as well. Aaron, Markdown. Yes. Uh, like what tool? Like I'm trying to understand what you're trying to what you mean by yeah, that. Yeah. What do you like, What do you use to Do you ever write Markdown or what do you? Use yeah, to edit of course. Mark- yeah. Uh, I write Markdown in TextMate. I write it in BBEdit. I've written it in um, Stack Overflow and Slack. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I know there are a lot of dialects of Markdown, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Stack Overflow has its own, and GitHub has its own, like GitHub flavored Markdown. But the differences are sort of on the fringes, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I find that I I only use the you know, sort of core subset of Markdown when I'm writing it, and uh, it seems to be the same pretty much everywhere. So shrug. <laughs> 
So who's the guy? Who's the guy that guy. came that came up with Markdown or John Gruber? John, oh, is it John Gruber? Okay. Yeah. He he invented Markdown. It was basically it's a Perl interpreter that uh, converts your um, email like text to HTML. Hmm. And so, um, and it's become even more popular than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 not the same everywhere. I mean, that's the one criticism of it. It's not a standard, um, despite Jeff Atwood's attempt to make it a standard with his common Markdown effort. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a fun. Th- I think we might have talked about that when it happened. Do you think? I don't remember. I think we did. Yeah, I think we did too. I think it came up. It's been a year and a half or so. So it was pretty early on, but I think we did mention the uh, standard markdown debacle that became common markdown. Yeah, com- common mark or common something. And, uh, commonmark.org. There you go. Um, yes. So check that one out if you're interested in a standard on that one. But nobody is. That's the that's the thing. Everybody would prefer that uh, you know things just go on as they have been, um, and it grows organically as all the best things do. So, yeah. Yeah, Markdown's kind of one of those funny standard of no standards like uh, CSV files. Or HTML. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Not HTML. I take it back. I'm sorry. (laughs) As it's written, not as it's... Send your letters to Aaron Bay at... (laughs) No, no, no. Send all all email to Tim, as you already have been. Continue that practice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay. All right. Cool beans, yo. Mark, do you have anything to... Yeah, I have a pick, actually. Whoa. I have a, a pick with a caveat because the pick it's a book that just came out not too long ago and I haven't really read too much of it yet but uh, but it looks pretty good and so far it's pretty interesting uh, and it's on a, a topic that's incredibly important so the the book is called iOS application security the definitive guide for hackers and developers oh, by really? a guy named David Teal hmm. published by let me see who's published by uh, no starch press over there. Yeah, uh, them. Yep. So okay, so anyway, so it's a it it's it's basically well, it claims to be everything you need to know about making your app secure. And mm. this is of course an incredibly important thing that that I think is probably not well understood by most people. So I think it's probably worth a read. Uh, chapters, well there's a, you know, introduction iOS fundamentals, chapter on security testing, security quirks of the Cocoa API, and then keeping data safe. Hmm. Now it's all in Objective C, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> so again, yeah, I, I haven't read too much of it, but it looks pretty good so far, and I can do a follow up in a couple of weeks after I've read more. Cool. Where did that mark? Um, that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called ahead. iOS Application Security, but I will post it in the notes. And I certainly can't imagine it mattering too much whether it's in Objective C or Swift, right? It should. This is it from shouldn't. the sort of API level, I guess. Yeah, it's it, it actually goes into some information about what's going on sort of under the hood, you know, the boot process and 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 you know what are the different levels of, of encryption that the that iOS is using behind the scenes and things like that. Uh, and then it talks about the specific APIs and and where are the uh, the potential gotchas in the APIs in the Cocoa APIs. Mm-hmm. So it should be pretty much language agnostic. That's true. But now you have a homework assignment. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Gonna yeah, hold the, you to it. The table of contents is quite interesting if you look at yeah. that on uh, Amazon.com or yep. probably their own website. What year is this from? Uh, February 11th, 2016. Yep. Oh, it's brand new, it's shiny, brand, brand new. new. Yep. Wow. Good book. Mm-hmm. Timely. Nice. Ooh, first edition. Mm-hmm. Well, better be. Yeah, it's only a month. <laughs> yes, I am looking forward to your report. Okay. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I've read a few blog posts on this subject, you know, in the past to try and figure out how to, you know, how people take apart your IPA and, or, sorry, I? Yep, you had it. IPA and they, they like to change it to a zip extension and then they can unzip your app and look inside and look for strings that you might have left in there. So don't leave any strings in your unnecessarily, you know, or they can, they can, you know, use tools to read the logs in your, on their device. And if you're foolish enough to leave NS log statements in there, you know, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Actually, that, that makes me think about something. A uh, quick question here, if anybody knows. Are there any code obfuscators that people have used for iOS code? So on the Android side, there's a pretty standard one called ProGuard that does that, that shrinks files, optimizes, obfuscates, and does some other things like removing um, unused classes and stuff. Oh, really? Huh. kind of more interesting hmm. in their um, DEX limitations. I've, I'm not familiar with anything even remotely like that on the iOS side. That's well, there used, there used you know, to be a tool by from Martian Craft, but I think it only did it checked to see if you had you know unused images and kind of shrunk your your file down. But I don't think uh, I can't remember if it, it actually checked for strange things like that. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, no. Yes, um, it was an image based one, like for like yeah icons and other yeah. assets. I think. Yeah. Now this one I'm talking about actually will make it somewhat harder for people to reverse engineer your code, right? It turns like, mm. you know, open this thing with this other view controller under this context into A, B. Oh, okay. really? So it makes right. it harder to, to read rather than just straight up. Oh, you mean, so it changes the code before you before you compile, or ch- or when does it do that? I'm a little unclear when it does that. I, I assume it's a post-compilation thing, because you, you add, uh, for ProGuard, you add these rules that say, hey, keep these, because these are part of, um, you know, what I need to operate with this third-party component, or if you are somebody who has your own third-party component, you say, well, I really don't want people tinkering around with the underpinnings of this thing that's going to change, but this public interface they absolutely should see so so don't strip that one down hmm interesting <laughs> well it's funny because we kind of ran into this on uh, my team uh, in the last week or so mm-hmm. this very issue uh, no and whether um the question was whether it was possible to secure uh i think it was what was the data i can't remember give me a sec oh yes an oauth secret mm-hmm. right um and so we didn't want to put it in the app, right? Because we realized that there was really no way to properly, you know, and securely obfuscate that. Mm-hmm. Um, because just as you said, Tim, anybody could pull the IPA and stringify the thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, I don't know. I wonder, Mark, if in the course of your reviewing this book, you learn of a way to actually secure data inside of an app in that kind I mean, of regard. Other than the keychain, or you're talking about something that you are shipping with the app, though, right? That's right, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's not so easy. No. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the OAuth, OAuth, OAuth key, even though it's, um, it's, a, it's a scrambled, it's still readable, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Dun, yes. dun, dun. So, if there are a way around that one, I'd be curious. To know well, it's, it's interesting. One of my friends that I met at a conference years ago in Seattle, as a matter of fact, Graham Lee has the written Emerald a number City. has written a number of books on on this kind of thing. Um, and he was telling me about um, like one of the things about uh, you know SSL certificates about pinning them to the app and that kind of stuff. You know, to keep your app secure as well. He has a couple of books on security, but it'd be I'm really interested to read this. Uh, iOS application security app because that's one of the things that always bothered me because security is one of my my pet peeves. I really like to uh, make sure that people are protecting their buttocks. You got a pick, Tim? 
You know, um, I don't think I did. I think I'm just going to go with the Adobe Color Cooler thing, which I talked about before. Very good. I think it's just color. I think it was supposed to be color. Like, they just spelled it weird, but... Oh, cooler? Yeah. No, it yeah. comes from a German word, actually. So yeah. you're supposed to pronounce it in German? Cooler, yeah. I All guess. Right, I don't know. I, I, we, I think we talked about it last time it was on the show, but there you go. Whenever I saw that word, I was thinking, you know, okay, they're being trying, you know, trying to be clever and all web 2.0-y, mm-hmm. um, you know, and coming up with some novel spelling for a common word. But hey, you can have your argument too. I, I don't, I don't have any skin in this game. <laughs> cool. Hitting the Googles. Fine. Oh, hit oh it. Adobe's taking over the word cooler. Can you believe it? Believe it. Yeah, well, the, it doesn't exist anymore. It's color.adobe.com. Cooler, cooler, cooler. Hmm. I guess Adobe must own cooler now. Cooler.solutions. There you go. Rapid Weaver. There you go. Alrighty. So, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to the Twitter machine, the machine of Twitterness, and go to at Aaron Vay, and I will be there. In the dark. In the dark. Waiting for you. But no one else dares to look. Right. And that was a I- doof. Huh? Sorry, Dune. You remember Dune? Yeah, the book. Was Zach Sadarak? Yeah, the bu- the book, not not the movie. Oh, oh, I, read, I never read the book actually. Oh, really? The book. I, I had to suffer through the the Sting starring movie. I love that movie. Really? I don't care what you know. A lot of people hate that movie. Really? I love that movie. I just think it was so. Um, it was. It's so weird, right? Mm. It's such a weird movie. The uh, Dino De Laurentiis, I believe, was the director. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Very peculiar movie, but. Um, amazing art direction let's put it that way crazy art direction in that movie if you if you have not seen this movie uh you owe it to yourself to see it really because Hmm. it's um it's got a lot of weird stuff in it because of course kyle mclaughlin is paul atreides uh and we know that kyle mclaughlin is something of an offbeat actor and he plays offbeat roles and uh this was no exception uh but uh it's a movie that takes itself very seriously and Mm. um um, but uh, it's got a lot of very interesting visual effects in it, and uh, I think it mm. was uh, something I really enjoyed back when I was young when mm. it came out. And uh, I'd say to hell with it, go go watch it. Yeah, I, I recall. I recall it was a bit of a flop in the in the yeah it never time. Did. It yeah. was a critical failure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I've seen it a few times, and I thought it was yeah. Great. No, I I only watched it the one time. I have to go back and look at it. Mark, you were going to say something because I think you read Frank Herbert stuff too, right? Yeah, I've I've read uh, most of the ones, the Dune books that Frank Herbert wrote. I know there's been a whole bunch more that were written by his son or something like that, but mm. uh, I haven't read those. But the original ones were were quite good. But certainly the the first one is is really really good. Oh yeah, so yeah. I highly recommend that. Totally cool. Classic golden age sci-fi, baby. It's all yep. about the spice. Yep, must flow. Yeah, spice must flow. All right, Hame. If uh, people were looking for you on the interwebs, where would they look? They would find me on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. You read any good books lately? You know, I haven't, but there is one that is coming out soon, or maybe it's out already. That's uh, oh gosh, I got to find this one. This one is based on. Um, an older gentleman's trials and tribulation going through HubSpot, the uh, startup. Mm-hmm. It's like my my oh, life oh, in a unicorn. Stephen or something Levy. Like that. Is that who it is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 Stephen. Was it Stephen Levy? Oh no no. So no, I, no I can't no. recommend that one from a like I've read it and I think it's good, but I can recommend it from a hey this is going to be in my um, shopping basket on Amazon quite soon. Ah oh, mm-hmm. damn it. Yes, I read that, and oh my god, that was amazing. The name? You guys got the name? Hang on, I've almost got it, just loading the page. He's going to blurt it out in a minute. Yes, I am. Stand by, drum roll. 
Disrupted. My adventures in the startup bubble. Dan Lyons. Disrupted. Okay. That's what we call it, the worldwide wait, folks. All right, Mark, we know what books you've been reading lately, but if people want to get a hold of you, what uh, do they do? Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And my name is Tim Mitra, and the last book I read, which I thought you're going to be totally surprised by this, you won't, it'll be totally out of character, but I read The Force Awakens. There's like a movie tie in? Uh, there's a book called The Force Awakens. Yeah, it's, it's basically came out the same day as the movie. Oh. And it's actually, it's actually got some. Um, like there was a character that was cut out of the movie, so that the, he's in the movie. It kind of explains how what's the dude that um, the the. By the way, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it. Yeah, the X-wing fighter who rare, gets, who gets off the planet. Whoa, whoa, whoa! One at a time. One at a time. You know that? Remember the what's the name of the guy that that uh, the. Oh, Dameron. Poe Dameron, yeah, how he gets off the planet. That's that's in the book. And off a, Jakku, okay. There's a couple of other things in there. It's it's some parts of it aren't quite as good as the actual movie, but. Yeah. So you ju- you just spoiled something, by the way. What's that? Poe Dameron gets off the planet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, what were you going to say? Well, that's why I said spoilers. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. In my very long-winded way. Didn't we talk <laughs> about that though? Back in the back in when we were talking about the movie, like like there was sort of like the how did he get off the planet part? Oh, yeah, but we were, but we were talking about that off the record, and you put it on the podcast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so well, we, you know, we weren't saying spoilers because we had all seen the movie. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> I suppose, but but Lee, you have to admit, Mark, you, you got yep. you and Jaime don't often you know leap into the into the fray as as uh, speakers on the show. Yeah, yeah. So more fool you. All right. So and <laughs> and I'm in See the your t- name there. And I'm in the T dot. Well, no, I said okay. Tim. I'm Tim Mitra. I'm T. I'm Tim Mitra. T I M M I T R A. I'm in the six, the T dot, and the smoke simultaneously. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. All right. Good night. Bye. Bye. And you just listened to the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, that Steve Hack show was great. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So were you actually at uh, David Gilmore that night? Yeah, I guess I was. Really? I, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't even realize that when you said that you were going on, uh, what was it, uh, Thursday night, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because my, my nephew works at um, one of the, I think the Oakville Music Center thing, whatever. Um and apparently Steve Hackett was playing there and he didn't tell me. And he went to see Steve Hackett with me, like, because I couldn't get anybody yeah. to go with me. So he came yeah. and, and he knows a bit of Genesis because his mother listens to Genesis and stuff like that as well. So, yeah. yeah. So he sort of knew it through osmosis, I guess. Yeah, he, yeah. Went, to the, he went to the Steve Hackett, the, no, the Genesis, uh, the Genesis Revisited one, Mark. Right, right. So what, did, so what did Steve Hackett end up playing? Like, do you know? 
or is this do I, do I know? Yeah. yeah, I was there. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, did you know the stuff? Like, it was like yeah, yeah. I knew I knew just about everything. And... Uh, uh, but uh, so the, the first uh, first set was all new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, by new stuff, I mean after 1975. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that would be hard. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, actually, it was, it, there was probably about four or five songs from the brand new album. Uh, and there oh. were a couple of songs from Voyage of the Acolyte, a couple of songs from Spectral Mornings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was one, uh, uh, Icarus uh, Ascending from yeah. uh, Please Don't Touch. Yeah, I like that, yeah. Yeah, that and that was the whole first set. Second set was uh, "Get 'Em Up by Friday." Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Can Utility, which is always nice to hear because I don't you don't hear that too often. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cinema Show, and and they're sort of on selling them by the pound. sort of an intro and an outro to Cinema Show, which are technically different songs, but they yeah. all played the whole thing as one oh, cool. as one yeah. whole thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Fourth of Frith. Yeah. Um, what else did they play? Uh, they didn't play "Supper's Ready." Yeah, too long. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah too long for that for yeah. that uh, format. Oh, uh, "Musical Box," of course, they played in there. And it's the same band that basically did the Genesis Revisited stuff. Yeah, exactly the same band, uh, except the uh, the the guy the the uh, the singer was only out for most of the second set. He he was only there for maybe one song in the first set, and yeah. Steve Hackett singing for the first set. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause, well, all the new stuff he he sings it on the on the record. So what's the so. what's the new album called? What, it's called Wolf Light. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't have that one yet. I have I have just yeah. about every other every one of his. He's done more albums than Genesis does. Yeah, he's done a ton. Yeah, and uh, so I've listened to Wolf Light. Uh, you know, in preparation for the show, I listened to it a couple yeah. times. And so yeah, so you know, Wolf Light's worth checking out. Although it's yeah. not, you know, I wouldn't put it on any desert island disc clip. was that was the the saxophone i think saxophone player named townsend was he there yes yeah you know, he you know, plays, he's really good you know actually. that's pete townsend's son eh i didn't know that i didn't yeah. know that oh that's interesting yeah 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 now that you say it it sort of looks a little like it <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah he's he's great you know he plays a lot more than saxophone too he yeah, plays yeah yeah all these different instruments a little bit of keyboards a bunch of different uh horns yeah yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I saw Steve Hackett. Carol and I went to see him up in Markham, which is like north of, north end of Toronto, in a small theater, and there was like maybe twenty other people there. It was amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's nice. all acoustic, right? So. Oh, sweet. Yeah. 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 I think he did some. He did some of the uh, pictures of Satie stuff and um, some of this. I think his. It might have been his brother that was with him because there was a wind, woodwinds guy there, right? So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That spectacular story. Somebody's knocking. Are you, is that you knocking, Carol? Sorry. Are you knocking? No, somebody next door. Oh, you sound like they're knocking on our door. Toronto, you live cheek to jowl there. I know. We're like right on top of each other. Basically. <laughs>